here as uh, new people move into the city and uh, people are establishing themselves. We're thankful that you guys are here. A few announcements as we get going. Um, today, we uh, launched Sign Up for Equip. If you're interested in being a part of a furthering equipping ministry, Equip is our opportunity to help grow our body into maturity into Christ. And uh, we're going to be walking through uh, two different resources this fall. One is the Intentional Father. I should have said this last week, uh, but this is for, for dads who are seeking to grow in their discipleship ability of their home. And uh, we want to encourage in that. No, we're not particular. If you're here and you're like, well, what about the ladies? All right, I hear you. All right, every opportunity we're going to have for Equip is going to be we're going to hit a niche, and I just so happen to already be walking through this resource, so we're utilizing it for Equip. Uh, but we will continue to offer different things, one being for maybe a niche part of our body as well as uh, one that would be more broad. Our broad resource is uh, 20 basics every Christian should know. Uh, so would encourage you, we have those resources on our table outside, so you can pick that up, sign up online for Equip through the app, and uh, then you'll be emailed the syllabus and how we'll connect with that this fall. Um, Sunday, September 12th, we have an open house at our new building uh, that we're going to be moving to hopefully in the next few months. Uh, so we're going to have light food and drinks available, as well as just an opportunity for you to catch a vision of where we're headed in this next season. That's Sunday, September 12th, 5 p.m. Hope you'll join us. At the end of this month on Wednesday, September 29th, we're going to have a family meeting and would encourage you, if you consider yourself a part of the Ecclesia family, you want to know what it looks like to join the mission and vision here of Ecclesia, we would encourage you to join. That's going to be hosted on Zoom. Lastly, we are in a series called Immeasurably More, taken from Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And last Sunday, uh, we took some time to cast vision for 10 dreams we have as a church. And if, uh, if you've been uh, kind of with us for a period of time, we probably have access to your email address, and you've been receiving emails the last few days. And if you're one of those people that are here and like, I haven't gotten an email from you, well, that's because we don't know you, and we would love to get to know you, and we'd love to have you connect on our app, Ecclesia Salt Lake City, if you go under Sunday Gathering, there's a place there that says get emails. Register there, log in there, and we will start sending you um, some emails uh, pertaining to uh, what our dreams are, as well as any future communication. But last Sunday, we casted this vision. We dream of a church that makes bold requests of God because we believe in a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We dream of a church that makes bold request of God because we believe in a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And our hope in this series, Immeasurably More, is that, that we are praying that God would expand your view of who He is and what He's capable and what He's capable of accomplishing in your life and the lives of people around you. Our prayer is that we wouldn't settle. I remember probably in the, the past 15 to 20 years, there's been a lot of uh, books written on radical Christianity. 
We've seen books like Radical. We've seen books like Don't Waste Your Life. We've seen books like Crazy Love. And all of these books have one thing in common. They're pushing the boundaries of what is possible with God. They're pushing us out out of a sense of just normal, settling American Christianity and causing us to believe in a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Francis Chan in his book Crazy Love starts it like this. This book is written for those who want more of Jesus. It is for those who are bored with what American Christianity offers. It's for those who don't want to plateau, those who would rather die before their convictions do. So, he starts off his book, chapter 1, with the title, Stop Praying, which doesn't necessarily seem like a great start. But again, he's seeking to push the boundaries. The idea is stop praying and start gazing at God in silence. Look at how big God is. And this is where he begins his book. He, he wants us to catch a vision of who God is. And if there's one aim for our series, immeasurably more, it's to catch a vision of who God is. What is God really capable of doing? Who is God? What is God doing? And I believe if we catch a vision of God in this series, there's no telling what might be possible. If God is capable, like Ephesians 3.20, what would we ask of Him? What would we attempt with Him? What would we dream to do with God? What would we see God do in our midst? And so, in our attempts to not settle, my hope is for the next few weeks to share stories with you. We're wanting to share stories, stories of people who aren't settling, stories of people who are desiring and seeking to see more of God, to know about the capability of God, to know about the power of God. That we won't settle for just showing up week in, week out on Sunday morning and then going through our work week like everyone else. That we would truly believe that God has the power to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So our hope is that we would push the boundaries of what is possible with God. And today we're going to start in Matthew chapter 14. I want to give you a little bit of context of, of what's happening. If you've been in church any length of time, you've, you've heard this story of Peter stepping out onto the water, and, and maybe it's like, be like Peter. And that, that, maybe that's the, the urge today. And my hope is that you wouldn't walk away today with like this big overarching like view of who Peter is, but the big overarching view of who God is, because it says when Peter got back in the boat, they didn't like give him a high five and say, Peter, that was awesome. You just walked on water. That's incredible. It says they got back in the boat 
And they looked at Jesus and they said, truly you are the Son of God. That's our hope. That's our hope when you walk away this morning that you would have a reality, an overwhelming sense that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And that changes everything. So what's happening in this context is, is right before, if you jump right up in chapter 14, you're going to see the title where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And it says that this 5,000 was only the men. It didn't include the children and women. So some scholars say there's close to 15,000 people gathered on the hillside, ready to hear Jesus teach. And, and they look around, and, and, and they're, they're, they're kind of discovering they're, they're at a loss for something. What, what are they at loss for? Well, they got all these people gathered here, and there's no fast food restaurants nearby, right? And so, how are we going to feed all these people? And we look in the gospel context, and we see that there was someone there with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And I love it because the disciples are like, I don't know. We got this. And Jesus says, bring it to me. And ultimately, Jesus multiplies that, and they feed the crowd, and, and they had food left over. It's an amazing, amazing scene. Quite a miraculous event. And here's what I want you to understand right out of the gates this morning, and we're going to see how this even pertains to our story of the disciples out on the boat. Number one, our dead ends our opportunities for God to do immeasurably more. Our dead ends. Have you ever come to a dead end? And you're like, well, what do I do here? Like, where, where, where do I go from here? And, and the Bible is, is full of dead ends. And I love it. Like the, all throughout Scripture, we, we come across these places where they reach a dead end. It's a dead end. We got all these people gathered here ready to eat, re, you know, ready to, to hear, but we have no food. And Jesus is like, I'll take care of that. We see the disciples pushing out from shore and trying to get, and the, and the waves are beating against them, and they can't move any further. It's a dead end. I want to take you back to some other dead ends in Scripture. Think about the Israelites taking off from Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. It's a dead end. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He'll work for you today. Here they are, just just standing there. What do I do? You ever been there? Like just at a place in life and you're like, I, don't, I mean, we can go back to the Egyptians or I can just stand here. And I don't know, Moses said just stand here and see the salvation of the Lord. That sounds good. Our dead ends are opportunities for, for God to do immeasurably more. What about David? And I'm hitting some common stories here, some high-level stories. How about David and Goliath? right? Like this seems like a dead end. I love it in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4 through 11, it describes how big Goliath is and how strong he is, how massive he is, how big is his armor, how big is his javelin, like it's all this description. 
and then 1 Samuel 17, 12, it, it like changes. And if you just read it, and you use some creativity as you read, you read all of these verses, all these verses, all these verses about how big he is, and then it says, now David. And you're like, well, this is a dead end, right? This is a dead end. But David says, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Our dead ends are opportunities for God to do immeasurably more. Let's go to the New Testament. How about Jesus' crucifixion and death? It looks like a dead end, right? It looks like it's over. The disciples have been following Jesus. They've been learning from Jesus. Jesus has been teaching. They've seen Jesus do all these miracles, and then all of a sudden Jesus goes, and he's, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's crucified, he's pierced, he's put on the cross, he's nailed to the cross, he's set up as a, as a scene in the public square, and then he's taken down from the cross, and he's buried in a tomb, and you can imagine it's a dead end. But in Matthew 28, 1 through 7, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Our dead ends are opportunities for God to do immeasurably more. My question to you this morning is where are you experiencing a dead end? Where are you experiencing something that you just, you just go, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move forward. And here's what I want to help us see from this passage is that God has a pattern of showing up in moments like this. And sometimes it takes moments like this for us to see our need for Him and call on Him. See, the disciples are at a place there, there, there's no way out. There's no path forward. The truth is, for us in this room here today, because of our sinfulness, there is no path out. There is no way forward, and Jesus makes a way. Our sinfulness is a dead end. The Bible tells us our sinfulness leads to death. There's not one of us who, are, who is exempt in this room. All of us have sinned. All of us have sinned today. All of us will sin this afternoon. It's a dead end. It's a dead end. It leads to death. But Jesus makes a way. And just like in this passage where Jesus feeds the 5,000, in verse 18, he said, bring them here to me. It's when things get in the hands of Jesus, it changes. And we get the opportunity to come to Jesus. When we come to Him, it opens up a path that wasn't present before. Interesting enough, Jesus has a pattern of getting the disciples into dead ends. 
You should read the Gospels and, and, and think through how many dead ends did the disciples? Why can we not heal? Why can we not do this? Why is, are we not able to cast this out? Why are we unable to do this? And it's full of dead ends. And then Jesus comes on the scene and does immeasurably more. Here's what I think is an important lesson for all of us to hear. Dead ends in life aren't because you're doing something wrong. Maybe it's because you're doing something right. Maybe it's an opportunity for God to show you the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of His love for you. Because these are the moments where God shows up. The passage that we read this morning that Ari read to us is a story of another dead end. This time they're on the water. Right after the feeding of 5,000, it says Jesus puts them on a boat and sends them to the other side. And throughout the night, waves begin to beat against the boat. The wind begins to beat down on the boat, and they find themselves at another dead end. The boat isn't moving. Here's point number two. The circumstances of life can quickly cause us to forget about the God who does immeasurably more. The circumstances of life can quickly cause us to forget about the God who does immeasurably more. It tells us in this text that they were afraid. When Jesus came out walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. And what is interesting is, if we look at the root of fear, the root of fear is unbelief. Fear is living with absence of God. Every time we fear, we're unbelievers. You're like, well, have I sinned? Have you been afraid this week? I have. There's been things that that I've been fearful of, and fear is a sign of unbelief. Fear is living, believing that God is absent. Now, what I find interesting in this text is they just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. I'm like, I Sometimes I'm like, really? Like, if I just saw that happen, you would think that I would, I would have a tendency to believe, right? And in fact, this wasn't even the first time they've been in a boat where a storm has come. If we turn over to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27, it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went to Jesus, and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to him, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He said, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? They've seen him do this before. They just saw him feed a crowd with five loaves and two fish, and they're afraid. And here's the the point. We too, we too 
get afraid. We've seen areas, we've seen evidences of God doing immeasurably more, but there's something about like the circumstances surrounding us that they become overwhelming that we forget. That the, the winds of life and the storms of life are beating down on us that cause us to be afraid. And we forget the God who does immeasurably more. But what I find is interesting in this, the fear of man stands no chance against the presence of God. When Jesus shows up, all fear subsides. When Jesus' presence is known, when, when His presence is there, and, and what does He say in verse 27? It says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, which I find interesting because He's just saying, I'm here. And that fear is supposed to go away. The presence of Jesus being there, being in their midst, walking out onto the water was meant to not change the circumstances because the storm is still happening. The waves are still coming. The wind is still coming against the boat. The circumstances haven't changed, but Jesus is there. And it's His presence that changes everything. I don't know about you, but the disappointments that I've faced in life, the pain I've faced in life, the brokenness that I've faced in life, the losses that I have faced in life, with all of that surrounding me, I have a tendency not to believe in a God who does immeasurably more. Those circumstances just begin to toss me around. And I love this picture where Jesus says, take heart. It's like, take stock in the fact. Like, get your heart, like the emotions in this moment of fear, of death, this fear of loss. It's overwhelming. Our emotions are controlling us. And here's what I've learned. What we feel is not usually a good indicator of what really is. I'm not telling you not to feel that. I'm not telling you not to be afraid, but it's usually not a great indicator of what really is, and so we need to be reminded of what is true. So when we feel alone, so when we feel abandoned, we, we speak as it is, that it is, it's exactly that, it's just a feeling. Because we're not truly alone. We may think, I'm the only one who can protect me. I'm the only one who can care for me. I'm the only one who can provide for me. But we need to be reminded of the truth in the midst of these storms. In Isaiah 49, 16, 15 and 16, just one of the many examples. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? And this is God's heart even towards Israel. We see that he can't. He can't forget them. 
Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And it's in the midst of these circumstances of life that we forget about a God who does immeasurably more. The next thing I want you to see is this. If God can do immeasurably more, then I can make bold request of Him. This is key in this passage. If God can do immeasurably more, then I can, do, I can make bold request of Him. What does Peter do in this passage? They're deathly afraid. They're deathly terrified. He sees Jesus. Jesus says, take heart. Do not be afraid. And in verse 28, it's kind of a confusing passage. It says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, how many of you are getting out of a perfectly good boat? And I want you to ask yourself the question this morning, why does Peter ask that question? Why does Peter ask Jesus to call him out of the boat? It doesn't say, but we can speculate, right? Maybe he just wants to be with Jesus. Being with Jesus is safer than being in the boat. That's, that's probably true. I can be like, you know, you're out there, we're here, I'd rather be where you are, okay? Because at least I'm with you rather than with these disciples, because everybody's afraid here, and, uh, you know, like, this, this, is, this is a challenge. I, I'd just rather be with you, and so would you call me out on the water, and I'll come to you? Maybe. But I also, there, there's a sense in me, when I look at, I, I'm, I kind of feel like I, I hope that I would ask this. And there's a sense in which he's, he's experienced the power and nature of God. He's, he's experienced and seen Jesus do miraculous things like feeding the 5,000. Maybe this is Peter just saying, hey, I don't want to read about a God who does immeasurably more. I don't want to just hear about a God who does immeasurably more. I don't want to just see about a God doing immeasurably more. I want to experience God doing immeasurably more. And not just in other people. I want to participate in it. And guys, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, we read so many stories of what God is doing in other places, in other countries, in other churches, in other people. And to be quite honest, I want to make bold request of God to do it right here in our church, right here within our people, right here within our lives, and in my life, and in my kids' lives, and my family's lives, and my neighbors' lives. I want to see and experience. When I read the New Testament, I read of a God who can do immeasurably more. And I want to experience that. 
I, I see a God who's able to do miracles and heal people and bring people back from the grave. What are we asking? When I think of this question of, of Peter, where he just says, call me out on the water. I'm going, what are the bold requests of God that we're asking? What is the asking God to, hey, can I come out of the boat? What are those requests? I know it's good to pray for like Aunt Betsy's, you know, ulcer and our neighbor's cat. Those things matter to God too. But I would pray that we would not be a church that fails to ask the big things of God. To Ask God to call us out of the boat. And here's what I love about this is that Peter doesn't just ask, but he puts footwork to the request. He asked Jesus, call me out. Jesus says, come. And he came. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. It's very clear. There's a sense where our prayers need to move us to action. We can pray and ask God, but be unwilling in our own selves to actually do it. We would say, Lord, would you help that my my, my friend would come to know Jesus, but never see that it's our responsibility to share Lord, I pray that, that, that you would provide for me, that you would take care of me, but I, I won't get out of the house and step out of laziness and actually get a job. Lord, I pray that, that you would feel near, but I won't open his very words that are proclaiming his nearness to us and his presence. The circumstances of life can quickly cause us to forget the God who does immeasurably more. And here's my fear, guys. My fear is that we will be included with the group of people that Jesus addressed in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. This is an alarming passage. Listen to this verse. And he did not do many works there because of their unbelief. Let me read that again. Jesus did not do many works there because of their unbelief. I hope and I pray that our story that is being written would say that Jesus did not do many works in the midst of ecclesia because of our unbelief that we would believe in a God who does immeasurably more. Anybody with me in that? How sad would it be that there is saving power that God would want to pour out, but He, he didn't because we didn't ask or we didn't believe. What are we missing out on because of our unbelief? 
Last thing. And if you're like, man, that, this kind of hurts, I feel convicted too. I'm with you in this. So when I'm like yelling up here and you're like, he's getting all passionate and sweaty. Like, I, I feel that way. I'm like, why am I not asking these things of God? Why am I not asking God to do these things in our church? And so I'm with you in this. Lastly, when God does immeasurably more, what happens? People recognize who's worthy of worship. They're not praising Peter. Our hope is we wouldn't come in and we wouldn't praise our worship leaders, our pastors. We're just tools. We're just vessels. We're just the means in which God is using to show and reveal this power. Peter's not miraculous. Peter was just willing to obey what God called him to do. And taking that step of obedience is is what caused many to go, truly, Jesus is the Son of God. I wonder if our steps of faith can be a signpost to others who's worthy of worship. I wonder if our steps of obedience, if our willingness to step out and trust the words of God could be a catalyst for others to know who is worthy of worship. I look at Peter here, and there's a sense in which he begins to sink. And I think it's so common in most of our lives, right? We're on this mountaintop like he just walked on water. And then immediately the circumstances are overwhelming again. It says he sees the wind. He sees the effects of the wind. He sees the waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and in the midst, he begins to sink. And he focuses back on Jesus and says, save me. And Jesus reaches out his hand. I think it's such a picture of our life. We're we're constantly walking through life, circumstances and storms of life we're being flooded with. And there's constantly a drawing back of our attention to Jesus. And so I want to share a story with you guys today. And so I've invited up a good friend of mine to help me. And we're going to do a little interview. Grab a seat. Please welcome Lila Kate. This is my daughter. And uh, one of the ways in which uh, we want to really kind of illustrate these stories is we want to bring these stories to life and really talk about how we're experiencing some of these things in just the normal things of life. And uh, Lila Kate is someone who has seen God do immeasurably more. And so I want, we're going to just kind of do a little bit of Q&A and ask a few questions and have her share with you ways in which she's seen God do immeasurably more in her life. And so first question, just describe where have you seen God do immeasurably more? I've seen God do immeasurably more in my life by taking away my fear. 
every time I get afraid, I get nervous and shaky. And usually my fear is that I'll get kidnapped or I'll get really, really sick in, my, in, my, in the night. God does eventually more in my life by taking away my fear. That's awesome. I think all of us can relate to times where we've all experienced fear, right? There's been moments where it seems like the fear is overwhelming and we don't know what to do. And I told Lila Kate before she got up here, I was like, you're willing to admit that is something a lot of us as adults will never do. And so I said, hey, that's awesome. Way to come forward and be bold in that because there's a lot of times, there's things that I struggle with or I'm fearful of that I'm unwilling to share. You mentioned a little bit in there about being afraid. When do you feel like are the times, whether it's like periods during the day or when are the moments you experience the most fear? It's probably almost always at night because during the day, I'm not thinking about, I'm, I'm getting distracted, but at night, everything starts to slow down and I'm thinking of what could happen. I'm just sitting there in my bed thinking all yep. alone. All alone. And I think that's a lot of us. It's like the, the schedule of the day, you know, we just start moving and we go in throughout the day and we have activities, we have people surrounding us. And then it's like when everything calms down, we rest our head on the pillow, all the storms of life kind of rush back in. And that's when we really begin to process, right? And in some ways, we feel alone, but are we truly alone? No. no. And I think that's a key part of maybe even your journey. Where do you go when you're afraid? It depends on how afraid I am. If it's something like a nightmare, I'll probably stay in my bed and pray. But if it's something like I hear footsteps and it's coming towards me, I'll probably go to my parents' room and have them pray for me or with me. Yeah, when I hear footsteps, I run too. So, Amber protects me. So, <laughs> I think it's uh, the key there is we, yeah, we... We run to people who can pray for us. We run to a sense of, of needing something to remind us of what is true. And that's what prayer a lot of times is, is we go to God and we cry out. We remember who it is who saves. We remember that we're not truly alone, that we remember his protection is, is over us. And it doesn't necessarily mean that all of those things aren't threats. It's just a reminder that we have someone who is with us, over us, protecting us. And I think it'd be interesting to know, like, how do you feel like that helps you going to God in prayer? How does that help you when you're afraid? It helps me calm down, and uh, it helps me calm down, and it helps me know that Jesus is with me and that I'm not alone. That's awesome. And we're never alone. We may feel alone, but we're never truly alone. We, uh, we recently took a trip to Texas, and we spent some time focusing on this passage. And we read through this passage. We talked about different practical ways that this passage could really bring help and, and bring wisdom and truth into uh, Lila Kate's fear, as well as my own fear, and, uh, and how this passage helps us. And you were given something to help you remember the truths of this passage. What was that? 
was given a ring. It has a cross, an anchor, and a heart. The heart is for Jesus cares for me. The anchor is for that he keeps me steady, and the cross is that Jesus is with me. That's awesome. How does that anchor remind you of the story of Peter? The anchor uh, is a reminder that Jesus keeps me steady in my storm and my fear. Um, Jesus keeps me steady as, as I move this way or that way. I put down my anchor, and it keeps me steady. That's awesome. Would you say everybody needs Jesus as their anchor? Yeah. I think so, too. Thanks for helping me out today. John Ortberg talked about this passage, and he said, if the disciples basically had a journal, he said, I can almost imagine them writing the next day this phrase, I saw God. It took a storm for me to see Him, but I saw Him, and I'll never be the same. That's our hope and prayer. It may take a storm in our lives for us to see a God who does immeasurably more. Our hope is, is that you see Him. Our hope is, is that you would know Him, that in your dead end, that in a place where we're lying in our bed and we're fearful at night and we hear footsteps and we're going, I don't know what to do that we see our dead ends are opportunities for God to do immeasurably more. Our hope and our prayer is that when we're sitting there and the storms of life begin to flood you once again, because they always will, that we won't forget the truth about a God who does immeasurably more. If there's a God who does immeasurably more, then you can make bold request of Him today. And so my question that I'll, I'll phrase as we end and as we kind of move into our time of prayer and our time of worship is, what are you requesting? If you go to immeasurablymore.church, which is a site that we launched for this series, there's basically an opportunity for you to go there and to make bold requests of God. We want to join you in prayer. We want to know what it is that you're requesting so that we can join you in that. And we want to see how God faithfully answers that to help stir our faith in God. Because we believe in a God who can do immeasurably more. So I have no doubt that God is going to answer many of our requests. What is it that you're requesting? Peter requested to get out of the boat. What are you requesting in faith today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this reminder that, God, there really is no dead ends in life with you. It may look like in our life that our sinfulness just leads to a dead end. And without you, it would 
But Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You came and made a way. When there was no way, where it was a dead end, when we hit the roadblock, you paved a new road. You're the way. There is salvation found in no one else but Jesus Christ alone. And so I pray, as Lila Kate said this morning, that every single person would know Jesus as their anchor and that they would know a God who does immeasurably more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.